The following is a sermon from Faith Troy, a church located in Troy, Michigan. For more information and more audio and video content, go to www.faithtroy.org. Well, again, welcome, and today we are in the third week of our series called Rich, and uh, what we've been doing in this series is actually looking at a very specific uh, section of Scripture where the Apostle Paul, he writes some instructions to a young pastor by the name of, of Timothy, and he tells Timothy, okay, listen, you, you, you need to, to you, I want you to instruct this, I want you to tell the, these people who are Christians and who also who happen to be rich. This is some things that I want you to, to warn them about and to let them know. And so if you are here today and, and you would call yourself a follower of Jesus, then you really need to pay very close attention to what it is that we're going to talk about together today. And if you are here today and you would not call yourself a Christian, then actually the good news for you is that you can kind of, you know, just kind of pick and choose what it is that you listen to today based on on what you like or what you don't like, because really, really the Apostle Paul, he isn't writing these words to you, although the truth is you might find them to be a, a little helpful anyway. Now, to get us started today, what I want you to do is I want you to think about the last time you were watching TV and you saw one of those commercials for some great new medication, right? And, the, and, and after kind of having the, the narrator list out all the, the possible, you know, side effects that come from you taking this great new medication, you know, you just thought to yourself, okay, if, if I ever, you know, get that, I think I'd rather have that as opposed to the nausea, anxiety, vomiting, blood clots, and bloating that come with whatever new medication is that they that they want me to, to buy, right? I'll just keep my itchy, watery eyes. Thank you. That's fine, right? And, and the reason I want you to think about that is because, because see, wealth, wealth also ha- has side effects. Now, the truth is you actually knew this. You just didn't probably think of it ever in this way. But, but you've probably actually met some very strange rich people. And, and, and you've probably even thought to yourself at some point, you know, were they always this way, or did somehow, you know, did they, did they get rich, and did kind of, you know, being rich somehow kind of, you know, make them this way? But see, wealth, wealth has side effects. In fact, one of the side effects that comes from having wealth is that wealthy people and rich people can very easily live in, in denial. And this is really kind of strange if you think about it, because, because, listen, you know, tall people have no problem admitting that they're tall, right? Short people, no problem admitting that they're short. Athletic people, you have no problem admitting that you're athletic, right? Us, us introverts will tell you that we're introverts. Extroverts, you all love to tell everybody that you're extroverts, right? <laughs> but for some reason, for some reason, people who are rich have a hard time admitting that they are rich. In fact, a couple of years ago, Gallup did a very interesting survey about this. And, and what they did is they went out and they asked Americans, they asked people to kind of define for themselves, okay, how much money would you actually need to make in order for you to feel rich? Which is, you know, kind of an interesting question. And what they discovered, they, they, they asked a bunch of different people this question. And so they asked people who made about, on average, $30,000 a year, how much money would you need to make in order to feel like you are rich. And they, on average, they said, okay, well, about $75,000 a year, and then, then I would feel rich. But when they went to people who actually made $75,000 a year and said, hey, are you rich? They said, no, I'm not rich. So then what they did is they went to people who, who make kind of the average income of an American right now, which is about $48,000 a year, and they said, okay, how much money would you need to make in order to feel 
rich. And, and those people said about you know, $150,000 a year. If I made, if I made that, then I, I would feel rich. But when they went to people who actually made $150,000 a year and said, hey, are you rich or not? They said, no, I'm not, I'm not rich. So then what they did is they went to people who make about $120,000 a year and they asked them the same thing. And then those people responded. They said, okay, $500,000 a year. And then, then I would be rich. And then this past summer, Pew Research actually did an interesting follow-up to this. And they went and they surveyed clients of, of Charles Schwab. So Charles Schwab is a, you know, if you don't know, they're like one of the world's largest investment banks and brokerage houses. And they asked clients of Charles Schwab, how, how much money you know, in cash would you actually need to have in the bank right now in order to feel like you're rich? And they said, on average, you know, $2.4 million dollars right? In cash, in the bank, and then I I would feel rich. Now, my hunch is, is if you actually found people who had $2.4 million in cash in the bank and went to them and said, hey, do you feel rich? They'd probably say, no. No, I'm not rich. So what's the point of all this, right? The, The point is this. Basically, nobody actually is rich, right? But everybody knows somebody who, who is, right? That's pretty much what, what that tells us, isn't it? Why? Because wealth can very easily make us live in denial. Now, now there's another side effect that comes with wealth and that absolutely plagues rich people, and and that's discontentment. Now, you are not going to believe what it is that I'm about to tell you. So you might just want to check this out on your own if you don't believe me afterwards. Go to the internet because everything there is true, right? So you can check this out. But see, the accumulation of stuff is kind of like an appetite. And anytime you have an appetite, anytime you feed that appetite, it gets bigger, right? You want to, that, that's what, just what, kind of what happens. And, and so there's a, there's a particular condition that absolutely plagues rich people. It, it's a condition called upgrade. I don't know if you've ever heard of this or not, but see, upgrade is when you have something that basically, you know, it works perfectly, right? It's just fine. But then you just go out and you, just, you get another one just like it. So I've actually heard stories about people with upgrade, and they will go into a kitchen, right, with countertops and a refrigerator and a microwave and an oven and rip it all out and then replace it with countertops, a refrigerator, a microwave. You've heard of this in an oven. So you, you've heard of this upgrade. It's crazy, isn't it? I've even heard stories. I have heard stories that that a bad case of upgrade will actually make a rich person go to the mall and intentionally stand in line, which is crazy because rich people, they hate lines. But a bad case of upgrade, it'll make you go and stand in a line for like hours outside of the Apple store. (laughs) And then you know what happens? They get to the end of the line. They take out their phone and they give their phone to the person at the Apple store. And then they give them a bunch of money. So then that person at the Apple store, they've got their phone and their money. And you know what the person at the Apple store does? They just give them back a phone that looks exactly like the phone that they just gave the person at the Apple You've heard of this. This is crazy, isn't it? I've even heard stories that when it's really bad, this condition called upgrade, it will actually make you say things out loud. 
You, you might have even heard this. I've heard stories that, that, that upgrade. It will make you actually walk in to, to a bedroom and open a closet that is absolutely filled with clothes. You've probably heard people, stories of people saying this, and it'll actually make them say out loud, I have nothing. You've heard of this, haven't you? Isn't it crazy? And the truth is they have work clothes, they have after-work clothes, they have work-out clothes, they have work-around-the-house clothes. See, there are side effects that come with wealth. And in this section of Scripture that we're going to look at together today, the Apostle Paul, he goes right to the very heart of this issue. Take out your Bibles, open them up to 1 Timothy chapter 6. Now, once you open it up, I don't want you to actually look at it yet. Okay, so just kind of put your hand, once you, it's page 1,851 if you're using one of the Bibles that are in the seat back in front of you. Take it out. We've looked at this section of Scripture together. You've heard this a couple of times. But what I want to do is I'm going to put the first part of the Scripture up on the screen. Today what we're going to do is we're going to go really in-depth into just one section, one part of this section of Scripture that you've listened to. So I'm going to put the first part of this verse up on the screen. And I want you to just kind of hear this. So don't cheat. Don't look at your Bibles. Right? Eyes up here. This is the Apostle Paul. This is what he says to Timothy. He says, listen, I want you to to make sure and tell these people who are rich, these Christians who are rich, you got to tell them, command those who are rich in this present world. Now, now, what do you think he's going to say next? Right? I mean, what is it that you would say? I mean, what would you tell rich people if you had the opportunity to actually write some instructions to rich people? What is it, what is it that you would actually say to them? The Apostle Paul, he says this, Command those who are rich in this present world not to be arrogant. Right? It's like, okay, so how did he know? How did he know? I mean, the Apostle Paul, he writes this 2,000 years ago. How did he know? See, the Apostle Paul, he, he, he knows that, that, that there is something that is inside of every single one of us that if we ever get rich, right, if we ever get rich, that there's this thing inside each of us that's going to that's gonna lead us to being arrogant. In fact, this is so true in our culture, you and I, we've kind of developed a little saying because of this truth. And you've all said this before, you've all heard it before, right? We say things like, he, he's rich, but you'd never know it. She's rich, but she doesn't act like it. Now, now, why do we say that? It's because generally when you meet somebody who's rich, right, you kind of know it. Because they kind of they carry it. They kind of they wear it. They, they kind of display it. You just kind of know it. And the Apostle Paul, what he's saying to us in this text is, listen, if you are ever so lucky or if you are ever so blessed, If you're ever in the situation where you've worked so hard, or or you are so smart, or you are so fortunate, in other words, regardless of how it is that you think that you got there, the Apostle Paul says to us, listen, when you cross that imaginary line, and you actually realize that you have more than what it is that you need, he says, don't let that go to your head. And then look at what he says next, because this is actually, this is key. This is, what fuels, this is what fuels arrogance. He says, command those who are rich in this present world not to be arrogant, nor to put their hope in wealth, which is so uncertain. 
Now we're just going to kind of camp out on this section of the text here for just a moment because this is really this is really kind of the key idea in this text. But see, the Apostle Paul, he's warning us of something. He's telling us that, listen, when, when you and I, when we start to get more money, right, when, when you finally get that raise, when you finally get that promotion, when that commission check comes in, when that bonus check comes in, right, all of a sudden when things actually start looking really good for us personally, he's telling us, listen, in that moment, in that moment, something actually begins to happen to your hope, but you don't realize it because, listen, it's not a decision that you make. It's just something that kind of happens to you, and our hope, he says, our hope actually begins to migrate. Our hope just naturally begins to migrate to and towards the accumulation of our stuff. And so the Apostle Paul, he says to Timothy, listen, you've got to warn these, these people who are rich, you've you got to let them know, people like us, that, that, listen, we've got to be on our guard and not allow our hope to migrate. Don't let your, your hope move, okay, he says, and get attached to or wrapped up with or associated with your wealth. Because Paul tells us, listen, that is never, that is never good. In fact, the author of the book of Proverbs, a man who is actually far richer than, than any of us will ever be and actually had no problem at all admitting that, that he really was truly rich, he actually makes an observation about wealth that goes right along with what the Apostle Paul is telling us in this section of text. He says this in Proverbs chapter 18. He says, The wealth of the rich is their fortified city. They imagine it, he says, because listen, it's not true. They imagine it, he says, because it is a pipe dream. They imagine it, he says, because because they're deceived. The wealth of the rich is their fortified city. They imagine it to be an unscalable wall. See, what he's telling us is that, listen, that when you and I, when we begin to accumulate wealth, when we begin to accumulate things, right, as we become wealthier, our hope, it just naturally tends to migrate, doesn't it? And we begin to imagine for ourselves that there is an amount of money that is out there that if we could ever get our hands on it, that we could somehow ever accumulate it, then we could kind of build this wall of protection around ourselves and our families and our kids and every single person that we love. We think to ourselves, if I could ever get my hands on enough, then you know what, I could, all, I could take care of my kids, maybe even my grandkids and my great-grandkids if I could do my estate planning well enough. The rich... He tells us. They begin to imagine that their wealth provides them an unscalable wall that somehow, that somehow makes them safe. Because see, the lie that every single one of us that we are tempted to believe is that somehow that you and me, that we can actually save our way into safety. And see, when that happens... When that happens, then your hope and my hope, it shifts from actually being in someone to being in something, doesn't it? Our hope shifts from our God to our wealth. Now, I'm your pastor, right? And I care about you. 
I genuinely care about you. And I don't want this, to, I don't want this issue of migration of hope. I don't want this to ruin your heart. I don't want it to ruin your life. And so what I did is before you came into church today, as I did a little bit of digging in, into each one of your personal finances... And so I'm going to ask you a question, and I'm going to tell you right now, I actually know the answer to this question, but I'm going to ask you this question, and I want you to think about the answer to to this question right now, because I know the answer to this for you. The question is this. How much money would you need to secure your future against all imaginable possibilities? How much money would you actually need to, to save to be safe? How much money would you need to have to be fearless? How much money would you personally need to to have to know that nothing could touch you or your kids or your grandkids, that, that, that regardless of what happens in the economy or the stock market, how much would you need to save to be safe? See, I know the answer to the, that question for every single one of you. The answer is this, more than you currently have. Always. Always. The answer to that question is always more than you currently have. See, as your wealth and as my wealth, as that increases, if our hope personally begins to migrate with our income, Here's what starts to happen. You and I, what we do, we start to ask the question, what if, don't we? Hey, what if? What if? This is why on average, this is why on average, wealthy people are actually less generous than poor people. Now, maybe you didn't know that that's true, but that is actually true. In the United States of America today, on average, as a person's wealth increases, their generosity actually decreases. I'll put this up on the screen so you can see it. That is what happens in the United States of America today. As your personal wealth increases, the average tendency for the average American, right, is that our generosity decreases. Sure, they might give more dollars, right? But on average, the percentage that they actually give, that we actually give, It goes down. See, this is why. This issue of migration of hope, this is why that actually happens. See, it's also why people who are poor, it's why people who are poor, they actually know something that those of us who are rich, something that we don't know. Or maybe it's something that we forgot a a long time ago. But see, the the people who are poor, they never put their hope in their wealth. Why? Because they know there's no possible way that they can actually save their way into safety. See, this is actually one of the reasons why, what I told you about two weeks ago, about the Christians in the very first century, why it was that even though they were so incredibly poor, that they were also incredibly generous, is because they never lived with the myth that somehow if I hold on to every single dollar that I get, that somehow I'm going to be able to save my way into safety. But see, for the rich person whose hope has begun to migrate towards their wealth, 
right? They imagine that their wealth is giving them this unscalable wall. And see, when our hope begins to migrate towards our our wealth, we are tempted to believe that there is some magic number out there that once we get to that number, you know, then then I'm going to be done. But see, that is not true. That number does not exist. Because if your hope has migrated towards your wealth, you're going to be compelled to hoard. You just will, right? You you may want to be generous, but, but you will not be. Because what if? What if? I mean, sure, you're going to give a little money here and you're going to give a, a little money there, but, but in terms of, of, of truly being generous, I mean, really being generous, listen, if your hope is found in your wealth, then you cannot afford to be generous because you're trying to build an unscalable wall. And you're going to need every single penny that you can get your hands on to do it. Now, Here's what I would kind of imagine, and then we'll get back into the text. But, but my guess is this probably hits a little close to home for you, right? Because at least it did for me. So I hope, I mean, maybe I hope, I don't know. I'm not going to just keep all that to myself, right? So I'll share that with you. Because, because listen, I mean, the truth is probably none of us really think of ourselves as being rich yet, do we? But if we're honest... I mean, haven't our hearts, maybe at least a little, begun to to migrate? Hasn't our hope, at least a little bit, begun to migrate to our wealth? Right? You see, this is tough. This is the struggle that we live with. Now, what makes this so hard is, again, we don't see this happening, do we? I mean, this is one of those things that we kind of experience as, as something that just happens to us. But this is why the Apostle Paul, it's why he finishes up the verse by saying this. He says, command those who are rich in this present world not to be arrogant, nor to put their hope in wealth, which is so uncertain, but to put their hope in God who? Who does what? Who richly provides. You know how people who are kind of critical or, or skeptical of the whole church thing. You know how they, you always hear them say, well, all they ever do in church is talk about money, right? Why is it all they, and by they, they mean me, right? They mean pastors. Why is it that all they ever do is talk about money? Do you know why we talk about money? Because Jesus did, okay? This is really important. If you were to actually take the time and read through the Gospels, Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John, right, the books that actually tell us about what it is Jesus said and what it is that Jesus taught, and you were to keep kind of a tally of all the different subjects that Jesus talks about in the Gospels, what you'll discover is that Jesus hardly ever talks about heaven or hell, but he talks about money all the time. Now, why is that? See, this is important because, see, the, the, the chief competitor with your heavenly father for your heart right that's not satan it's actually your your money right i mean it's not like i mean at least i hope this is true you don't wake up every day right and say okay so who am i going to listen to today is it going to be jesus or satan right that's not that's not your struggle is it no at least i hope not it's your struggle like my struggle is allowing my, my hope 
to migrate towards our wealth. This is why Jesus actually tells us this. He says, listen, where your treasure is, there your heart will be also. That's why Jesus tells us that. It's why a little bit later on Jesus says this as well. He says, you cannot serve two masters. Now, what do you think Jesus is actually talking about? Right? He says, you'll either serve stuff. Now, if you look that up in in your Bibles, it probably says the word money there. Right? But the word that Jesus actually used was the Greek word mamonos, which translates as mammon. And it literally means stuff. And so what Jesus says is, listen, you cannot serve two masters. You'll either serve your stuff or you will serve God. See, that is always the tension. That is always the tension that as followers of Jesus that we face. Again, in the book of Proverbs, an incredible Bible verse, right? If, if you are a parent and you're teaching your kids how to, how to be generous, how to give and then save and then live on the rest, if you're teaching them that, or if, or if maybe for you personally, you feel like this is one of those areas where God is maybe you know, kind of tugging on, on your heart a little bit, this would be a great Bible verse for either you to memorize or for you to help your kids memorize. This is Proverbs chapter 30, verse 8. This is actually meant to be a prayer that you would, you would say to God. It says this. It says, keep falsehood and lies far from me. Give me neither poverty nor riches, but give me only my daily bread. Otherwise, I may have too much and disown you and say, who is the Lord? See, the author of Proverbs actually understood That there is an amount of money that is out there that if we're not careful, it can actually become a wedge. It can drive a wedge between us and our God. That our wealth can actually become a substitute for God. Now, as we wrap all this up today, I I, want to help you with this. I genuinely do. I want to help you kind of process and think about this whole issue of the migration of hope. Right? Because I think the truth is, this affects every single one of us that are here. And so what I'm going to do is I'm going to put up two statements up on the screen. And this is just for you, right? It's not for the person next to you, so no elbows at this point, no staring at the person, just eyes forward right up here. And all I want you to do is when you see these two statements is to honestly think to yourself, if you were to suddenly discover that either of these statements are true, which one actually creates the most anxiety in you. Okay, so statement number one. There is no God. There is no God. So when you die, it's over. You'll never see loved ones again. They'll never see you again. That there is nothing after this life, nothing beyond this life. So when it's over, you're over. Statement number two, you have no money. It's gone. All of it. In all the accounts, they're all at zero. And there's no possible way for you to get any of it back. Which one of those two statements causes the most anxiety in you? Now, I want you to think about this. Imagine now that you're in the hospital and you're hooked up to all that stuff, all that equipment that none of us ever wants to be hooked up to, right? 
And so for some of you today, this might hit a little close to home because of some news that either you got personally or maybe a family member got in the last several weeks. But imagine the doctors kind of come in and said, okay, listen, we've done all that we can do. And really, it's just a matter of time. So now in in that situation, right, in, in that situation now, where does all of your hope and all of your concern and all of your focus go? right? Immediately, what every single one of us knows is is true, is that regardless of wherever our hope was before that situation, right, when that happens, immediately all of our concern, all of our attention, all of our focus immediately goes to questions like, okay, so so where, where will I go after this life? Is there really a God? Where is it that I personally, where am I going to spend eternity? Right? What every single one of us know is that in that kind of a situation, 110% of our hope is absolutely focused on God and nothing else. Right? So here's my question for you. This is what the Apostle Paul is teaching us in this verse. This is what Jesus is teaching us all throughout the Gospels. This is why he brings up money all the time. Here's my question. If all your hope is going to be in God at the end, then why not put all of your hope in God right now in the middle? If all of our hope is going to be in God at the end, when we have no control over what happens next, then why not put all of your hope in God right now in the middle, when in reality you have no control over what happens next? Verse 17, one more time. Command those who are rich in this present world not to be arrogant, nor to put their hope in wealth, which is so uncertain, but to put their hope in God, who richly provides us with everything for our surprise. What's the word? Enjoyment. So it's okay. You can go out and get that iPhone if you want. You can trade in your car. It's fine. You can redo that kitchen. You can redo that bathroom. You can redo it repeatedly. It's okay. You get more clothes, shove them in that closet. It's fine. It's fine. No problem. But do not, don't you dare, don't you dare put your hope in your stuff. See, that's what the Apostle Paul is telling us, right? Listen, why in the world would we ever put our hope in the provision, he says, when we can put our hope in the provider? Why in the world would we spend even a moment of our lives putting our hope in the provision when we can actually put our hope in the provider, the one who has provided for us so richly both in this life and also in the life to come? And listen, if you ever doubt that, or if you ever question that, then God says to you, listen, just look at the cross of Jesus. Because it's at the cross of Jesus that God actually says to you personally, listen, I love you so much, I'm going to give you something before you ever give something to me. 
God says to you personally, I, I love you so much, I'm going to give you something whether or not you ever give anything to me. So why would we put our hope in the provision when we have the opportunity to put our hope in the one who provides us with everything for our enjoyment? Why in the world would we put our hope in riches when we can hope in the one who richly provides? Let me pray for us this morning. Heavenly Father, Heavenly Father, you know, um, Father, you know how, you know, it doesn't matter how many times I preach it, you know how more, it's just, it is as convicting now as it was the very first time. And Father, I think that's true for all of us here. You know how easy it is for our hope to just kind of naturally move away from you, our provider, into those, the things that you provide for us. And so, Father, my prayer for all of us, individually and corporately, um, first is that you help us to see what it is that you have provided for us each day. Help us to be generous in the very same way that you have been generous to us. And Father, I also ask that, that in these next few moments especially, as we prepare to confess our sin to you and confess those areas in our life where our hope really has, you know, kind of migrated away from you. Father, I I pray that as we speak those words, that we would be reminded by your Holy Spirit that we don't have to hold anything back because you didn't hold anything back from us, that you have, you have given us everything that we need. You have provided us everything, even you give it to us for our enjoyment. You tell us that. Father, that you have actually provided for us both in this life and in the life to come. I pray, Father, that your Holy Spirit would remind each of us of that truth. And so, Lord, I ask that you you hear us in these moments as we personally and silently confess our sin to you. The good news of the gospel is that your Savior holds nothing back from you. His love for you is unending. His love for you is certain. It is unchanging. It can never be exhausted. His grace will never run out. His provision for you will never stop. And because of His gift of grace to you, your sin, it is truly forgiven. In Jesus' name, amen.